Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? I am sending greetings, salutations, and love to you. Thank you again for tuning into my podcast called Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. My guest today is someone that I've known. I cannot even jimmy my words together to say how long the two of us have have known each other. We've known each other, I'll just say, till the late 90s. We worked together at The Gap. And over the years, our friendship has just remained connected. And we've shared intimate moments about what's going on in our lives and our passion projects. And I thought this would be a good episode in which we talked a little bit about when you get an idea that just won't leave you and you're on a different path, what does it take to birth that idea? There's a lot of press out today that says birthing an idea is you just get a decision and you quit your regular job and you keep going or you get a side gig and you keep going with it. But it's it's much more complicated than that for 90 plus percent of us. And so I wanted to talk to my guest, Zia Lee, and she is a producer of short films and soon to be long films. And she's going to talk about her journey. So good morning. Good afternoon, Z. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, Denise, for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, because they don't know you like I know you, tell us something about that's that's unique to you. People wouldn't necessarily know. And also a little bit about how we kind of met and what you remember. Yeah, what's unique to me that most people won't know. Well, my birth name is actually Victoria Pritam Mitchell. And my parents converted to Islam in the early 60s when I was about probably five or six years old and had our names legally changed. And here I am as Zainab Ali, and I go by Z. And you and I met at The Gap. I was a recruiter then. I had just just moved from uh, New York City where I was living, and I wanted a different environment, lifestyle. I was into running and sports, and yeah, I just wanted better weather. And so I got a great opportunity to work at The Gap, and that's how we, we met. Yeah. And at that time, it was about the recruiting, right? Yes. I was head of the finance recruiting, corporate recruiting for The Gap, that team. And at that particular time, we had a, a crunch to, to hire a lot of people, I think 1,200 across all the recruiting functional teams. And mm-hmm. we were able to, we crushed it, our team. <laughs> I remember us hiring, what was it, like 42 new employees and like, 30 days, mm-hmm. something like that it was like a challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was younger then. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, that was. And it was uh, still hard was, in San Francisco, right? <laughs> yep, it was still hard, but the gap at the time was such an easy sell. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of retail because it's visual and people you know know the stores and they know the brand. So mm-hmm. it was great. Had a successful run at the National Black NBA, I remember. Mm-hmm. in Detroit and had a booth that looked like Gap Store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we were killing it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. How hard yeah. is diversity recruiting, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so talk to me a little bit about your journey from, from what was an exciting beginning of a career to where you are now. Yeah, well, I started my recruiting career on Wall Street for an agency. We we're right across the street from the New York Stock Exchange building. And uh, we had clients like Goldman Sachs, American Express, Lehman Brothers, a lot of boutique firms that are, you know, no longer in existence. And then the urge, you know, came to move out to to the Bay Area, which I did. And uh, from there, I recruited around to a lot of different companies from there, Charles Schwab, Bayer, you know, so it was like biotech, pharma, you know, McKesson had been to. And, and then I, you know, had gotten, got married and moved to Chicago during uh, 9-11. And it was a very difficult time. I did not recruit while I was living in, in Chicago. So anyway, I wound up getting a divorce and moving back to the, to the Bay Area in 2004. And that's where I wanted to really decide I wanted to do something different. But I didn't, you know, in the film in terms of that, but didn't know what that really looked like at the moment. So I took, you know, some film classes there, you know, met people. And actually, you know, fast forward, it wasn't until probably 2009 when I had to take care of my dad (laughs) at that time. And I was in touch with a friend of mine, Cody Mundy, who had a very successful career uh, as an entertainer. And he was taking care of his mom in L.A., where through that connection, you know, I realized, you know what, there's people not like us. I don't see people like us and hear their stories in mainstream television or film. And that's when I got the idea that to kind of really move forward with wanting to be in that industry. And I wrote up a thing called a treatment for him and and presented it to him. And so that's where kind of like it all sort of jumped off. I went Mm to LA, I went to a produced by conference, met people there. And it's just from networking and meeting people. But actually that at that time, that didn't really happen for, for that particular content. And so in 2011 is when I did my first short film, because you got to start somewhere. So right. it's with the short and then and got invited to do another short. So just like any other industry in business, sometimes you have to start, you know, you start small and you have to start mm-hmm. with a team mm-hmm. and that's the same team that you work with throughout. And the mm-hmm. current day, that same director, she tapped me to work on her documentary called Mama Gloria. And uh, Lucina Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. Lucina and I, I, I'm the one who tapped her for my short because <laughs> she's a terrific writer. Mm-hmm. And I thought we would, you know, work together. And she wanted to direct. And that's how it all kind of started. And then she tapped me for the second. She was tapped for Danger Word, another short. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to produce it. And uh, that's what I did. And then, yeah, that's, that's how that works. That's how those teams 
come together. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, your skills as a recruiter, you know, a lot of people will be on this and they'll be like, oh my God, we can tap the brain of a recruiter here. How do you pull together a team? Because recruiting really is about how to think about a team or the best recruiters think about it as we're going to add people to the team. We're going to carry people forward. What are some of the things that you look for when you're creating a team? Well, the main thing is the having that conversation with the ultimate person that they're going to be working with. Because sometimes they're not working with me. They're working with, you know, a head of department, you know, a director level person they've got to report to. So it's me actually sitting down and and talking with that particular individual, like what makes their department successful? What does that look like? What does a successful candidate look like? Because sometimes a successful candidate is not necessarily a successful employee. Mm. You know, they're going to, well, people can, they interview well, right? They can put on a mask, they they show up, they can Mm -hmm. show up really well. But when it's day to day and they're tasked with something, can they actually deliver on that? Mm-hmm. Can they, if they're stuck, can they, you know, lose the ego and ask for help? Whoa, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, I can't figure this out. Can you help me? Can you whatever? Mm-hmm. There's no shame in that. But yeah, so that's, that's a lot. Some people kind of, you know, they're posers, right? <laughs> Are they kind of, they just want to they show up, which was great. You know, it's great if you show up, but yeah, they show up, but they're not really there. Yeah. And, uh, and that's some of the things that, you know, you have to look at as a, as a recruiter. I mean, even with the now, with the technology, you cut back, you scale back and you do more phone screens because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then when actually people, you bring them in, to the company to actually interview and they have to interview sometimes with, I don't know, like 10, 12 people. Right. Right. They are exhausted. They can't, they, they can do a phone or text or email, but actually when they have to use their communication skills mm-hmm. and actually have to think and maybe think through some problem solving and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, wow, <laughs> that can fade really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It fades really quickly. And it's interesting because on my side, um, in the employee relations, business partner side of it, candidates don't see how their energy just kind of wanes and they and it's hard to tell the same story at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning that they may have told at three o'clock in the afternoon. And that triangulation is what from an HR or or a manager's point of view is what they're looking for on the inside, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, to have that stamina. Mm-hmm. to go that distance. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to get tired. It's okay to take a break, but mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to have that maturity or that self-awareness of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To ask for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or prepare for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And to or be clear about preparing for it, right? Right. So one of the things that, you know, you didn't mention was, you know, your first short was death in the family, but you also did things like you I remember there was a point where you were doing recruiting for Lucas Films, partly because you were good and you needed to work at that particular time. But it mm-hmm. also taught you something about putting together creative teams. Can you talk yes. about this? Yes. So, you know, it's a very interesting industry and I probably get in trouble for this. But since that industry is so networked in, mm-hmm. you know, if we, yes, we interviewed people. But a lot of times, uh, especially it, it depends on what the what the level is, people are already tapped to be there. 
they have some relationship or they've worked with somebody in the past that they feel comfortable with. But of course, they want to compare them with other candidates. And it's mm-hmm. only fair to have a sort of like a, a reach of candidates just in case someone doesn't work out. You've got, a, you know, some other choices. And so Lucasfilm was great because, it, you know, it's in the Bay Area. It's a Hollywood-ish company, but they poo-hooed. They didn't want really Hollywood-type people. And I didn't get that at first, mm-hmm. of what that really meant. And so what that really meant is, in, you know, in, in e- is again, it's a business. They didn't want, if I, you know, came across an email or someone interested in the position, and they were like, oh, my God, I loved you know, Star Wars, I kind of am such a fan and they can go into really detail about these characters and, and the content that was like, no, that's not the person <laughs> that we want mm. right? or need. No, we want somebody, because they want somebody who's business focused and how oh. they can get something done and not so much you're talking about some character of theirs. Because remember, it's a business. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I don't know, drinking Mm Coca-Cola and you start talking about the taste and, you know, how it makes you feel and how it gets you up. And that's great. But you really want to talk about Coca-Cola and how you're going to market that (laughs) product. Right. Or what you're going to add into what you've done before, how you're going to do, I don't know, PR or merchandising around it or whatever, or screenings for, you know. Are you going to get bodies into seats to come see it? I, you know, I don't know, a myriad of things, but right. yes. So it's not so much I'm just such a fan. So people actually, you know, write these letters and it really shoots them in the foot. Of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it ain't <laughs> obvious, getting, is it? <laughs> of, getting a, of getting a job. Yeah. You know, as soon as they say I'm a fan, I'm like, ooh, yeah, yeah. Mm. You can say you admire XYZ strategy that they might have used. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. To market something or, you know, the newest technology that you used in the film or animation. Yeah. But not, not that, you know, I'm a fan. But so, I, and I've got a Xena X, well, you know, I've got a, you know, I, I forget one of the characters in Star Wars, the princess woman. Yes, <laughs> you know, I've got one of her outfits and got it. Yeah. But, you know, people, people do send these kind of love letters. cover letters. Yeah, well, cover, yeah, cover letters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I remember having a conversation with you that, that that transformed you in thinking about how to birth your 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 dream of being a producer, of understanding the difference between, you know, people who are fans, in your words, versus this is a business. Yes. That tells stories, right? Yes. It's a business that tells, yes, it's a, a product and it's a very lucrative, lucrative business for mm-hmm. people. And, uh, you know, I, I have to be candid and say some of those businesses, they don't make the money. I think the stockholders might, but not the mm-hmm. employees. Mm-hmm. Although the employees are treated extremely well. It's a very, it's a beautiful environment to be in. Very mm-hmm. beautiful environment. Very stimulating when you walk through the halls and you see, you know, this is at the Lucas. ET. Yes. Okay. It's at Lucas at the ET bike. And, and also too, it's part of industrial light magic. So they do a lot of other projects as well for mm-hmm. other companies. Mm-hmm. But Lucasfilm is just primarily Star Wars. That's all mm-hmm. they do. And they have an animation piece called Rebel. But yes. Mm-hmm. And just to see all of that, just and to see all the posters that mm-hmm. George Lucas has collected throughout the company. Just beautiful. The mission style architecture, 
just it's just kind of mind-boggling and Kathleen Kennedy the the president when she gives her you know presentations when they're introducing a new film or whatever or hands-on meeting you know that we've had with the company and also to their series of speakers that they have that come there mm-hmm. you know I when I was there I saw Russell Crowe <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like five feet in front of Russell Crowe <laughs> and so that was pretty amazing as well. I didn't think I—I I really didn't want to see Russell Crowe. I wasn't a fan of Russell Crowe, but yeah. you know, I was on wanted to go to my yoga class, and <laughs> I sat in front of him. And you know what? I wound up loving him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, that's an Oscar winner." Mm-hmm. So now I see why there's an Oscar. He's an Oscar winner. Okay, because he was there and he was promoting his film. Yeah, one of his uh, movies that he directed. And uh, he was talking about it and why, and he gave the example of his, you know, his kids. And, you know, I guess because he can't be an actor forever and wanted to be behind the scenes. And it was just really touching. I was like, oh, I'm a fan. I love Russell Crowe now. <laughs> so what, did, what made you decide to give up what is obviously a very rewarding career for you to birth this idea of becoming a producer? Well, you know, the Bay Area changed. It started to change slowly, but then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it changed into a sort of startup mecca. Mm -hmm. The attraction was, so I was a recruiter who never, you know, I wasn't uh, director level, although maybe my salary was, I never was VP level. I didn't run it. I didn't run teams. I did, Mm -hmm. you know, the lead team leader, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And I think when you get older, and you're at that level, it's harder to compete with the younger uh, population that's out there. They want to pay them less money to do what you know you're doing. Mm-hmm. Although they don't, a lot of times the people who are hiring me or I'm interviewing with are maybe you know 20 years younger than I am at the mm-hmm. time, and so they don't see the value of when you you're sort of the people skills part, mm-hmm. the soft skills. Mm-hmm. They just want something that's more transactional, mm-hmm. you know, get the bodies in, you know, fill the job, and which is fine. And so that sort of landscape began to, to change for me. It was diff- just in between jobs. It was just harder and harder to, to get new jobs. And so that's when it's sort of like I, I needed to let go of that mm-hmm. and pursue something that I really wanted to do, mm-hmm. which was film or television, but to be a producer. Mm-hmm. And some of those jobs don't pay very well. And then I thought, well, you, you know, you need more experience. You need to have a portfolio. So that's where the the two shorts came in. And, you know, I now the documentary, which is just doing really well. Mama Glory. And Mama Gloria. And then I'm working on my own narrative feature called Sugar Coated still. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's so just building a team and and working with people and and still, you know, attending webinars and and Zoom calls with other producers and seeing how they do things and pre-production and, you know, just keeping things moving. So, yeah, it was sort of like out of that, that I was no longer needed as a recruiter or it wasn't, it just didn't, it didn't pay anymore. And actually now as a freelance producer, it doesn't really pay either, but 
you find ways to make it work. Yeah. You do. You you find ways to kind of make it work. Some people may not know what a producer does. So can you talk a little bit about what does a producer do and how did you take the skills of being a recruiter to transform into being a producer? Yeah, there's there's several types of producers. Mm -hmm. uh, And when you see a list, sometimes you see producers are, you know, I don't know, it could be sort of like eight to ten in a film. So producers, the type of producer that I am, sometimes I'm considered a line producer because Mm -hmm. I go through, I create the budget Mm -hmm. and I actually do line for line, like what the cost is going to be, what the cost is going to be for the food, for the cinematographer, for the, you know, just who gets paid, like what the cost is Mm -hmm. for the location, et cetera. I got to get the, you know, you have to go out and get the license for the location if you're shooting outside or, you know, and the permits, I should say, and then working with SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and getting people and doing their travel arrangements. We had for our first film, Death in the Family, we had Victoria Rowell and, you know, getting her there in the hotel and, you know, her hair and her makeup and, you know, it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. That So that's a line producer. Part of that's production uh, producer as well. You're working production on the set. And then there's also the creative producer, which I kind of got more familiar with after working with Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm. So there's these creative producers who actually are putting together like the story. So -hmm. sometimes I'm that too. It blends. You know, I find the story I found, you know, Lucina was, you know, she wanted to tell the story of, you know, death in the family of a space on a true story. So you find, you know, you can find the story and then you, you, you say, Hey, I want to, you know, do this. I want to promote this. I want to, you know, reach out and suggest an actors, you know, the cast and people mm-hmm. like that and put the team it's together. Pulling together to te- yeah. It's the team building. Right. Who's exactly. going to play and who's not going to play doing various it's, things. Right. Right. And then, you know, working with more established producers who can just make a phone call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and after the, the film is, you know, it's put together, they can make a phone call and, and they have relationships with, you know, different film festivals mm-hmm. and the film, you know, premieres in a film festival. Mm-hmm. So just based on those, you know, relationships that they have, as well as, you know, for funding. So one of the main things as a producer and people come to you for is actually raising money mm-hmm. for their film or I have to raise money for death in the family. And that's when it's involved with, you know, do you do crowdfunding? Do you go out to investors in lieu of, you know, having their name in the credits, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And so for even, I'm still learning. And so for sugarcoated, you know, it's, you know, you've got, I've got a business plan and reaching out to um, investors and on a subscription where Mm -hmm. I sell shares or increments of shares of Mm -hmm. the film Mm -hmm. and and you know film is it's a hit or miss you know you're not you may not you know make a lot of money from it but you know the person might be more motivated by the story and tell us about the story because you do real human stories stories that typically don't get seen by or don't get produced by major companies, I guess it is, film, film right. and whatnot. So like the right, one that you like, have like out now. The studio. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The one that just came out, you know, for on PBS Afropop. Mama Gloria. Tell us about that story. So Mama Gloria, the 
director, Lucina Fisher, mm-hmm. um, has a teenage transgender daughter, Gia. And they met Gloria Allen at one of these human rights coalition, what is it, like a conference. Mm-hmm. They met Mama Gloria. Gloria asked if Lucina would write her story, her memoir. And when she was started to talk to her and heard more about it, she goes, well, this would make a really good documentary film. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how. And so the director, you know, we, we went out, was a very small team. She, you know, she did it out of pocket. Of course, then we did crowdfunding because we needed to pay the, the editor. Right. But she did it out of her, her own money. I didn't get, you know, I got reimbursed for like travel and things like that. But yeah, it was a very small team. And, you know, we followed her around and, and it's usually the post-production is the most time consuming and, and where the money, where you need the money. But we eventually got grants came in. PBS Afropop was the first, one of the first grants that came in. Mm-hmm. The Field Foundation in Chicago is another one that came in. So tell us a little bit about the storyline then. So oh, sure. Yeah. The storyline is, you know, it's, she's a legendary, Gloria Allen is a legendary trans activist. Okay. Who in her sixties founded a charm school for homeless trans youth. And she's still, you know, living in Chicago today. And, you know, she wants, you know, like anything else, everybody else, I think she wants to still get married and, and, you know, and have a life. But it's about the support that she's gotten from her her grandmother and her mother and her aunt, the love and support of being who she is. I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of knew who she was at a very early age, but for her to come out and and have that support. I mean, you know, it's not all roses, but mm-hmm. she had it's the it's showing the love, mm-hmm. the humanity. Mm-hmm. For us to have the tolerance and, and humanity for people, of all no matter kinds. Who, no, yeah. right, no matter all who kinds they of are, yeah. exactly. So, because when I shot, I'm like, oh, this is like somebody's grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's we didn't she did a lot of things we didn't put in the film, but you know, she's peeling garlic and cooking, you know, spaghetti and stuff for the potluck for her. You know, the people in her apartment, they have a potluck once a month and, you know, things like that or doing grocery shopping. This is just a normal person mm-hmm. who, who has looked around, you know, you age and you look around and you see who might need your help mm-hmm. and you create that, you create that. And that's sort of like what attracted me to her. In, in doing this and working on this story, it's mm-hmm. like, yes, you know, you don't stop. You, you got up this morning and you kind of looked around and you need to see, you know, where you can assist. Yeah. And, and where you can help. Yeah. The interesting thing about Mama Gloria is also mirroring kind of your life in terms of these chapters of our life. And we, as we see one close, moving into the next chapter of our life, mm-hmm. sometimes we get the impression that, you know, a person decides who they're going to be in their 20s, and then they just start manifesting it through the whole course of their life. But I think what that story, as well as sugarcoated, and talk a little bit about sugarcoated, what, what I notice about you is your gracefulness of not just in your own life. And gracefulness doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's a mindset of, you know, hey, the chapter's coming to an end. I need to start 
marshalling my resources to get to the next place and also creating a network of people who can ride with you on this journey. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I have to add, Denise, that, you know, earlier on, you know, we worked together, you as my coach, and I, I, I can't tell, it's invaluable. It's just simply invaluable because you, through this process, you need, always need a thought partner. Whether you have a team you put together or a mentor, you need a thought partner. Mm-hmm. And you were my my second coach, but my first coach to get me through to do the film, mm-hmm. to do my first short, you know, I was taking care of my father and then he passed. And then I was like, oh, I was working at, uh, you know, Charles Schwab. I was like, wow, what, I don't know. Like, I want to be in this, the film thing. I want to do the film. but I just didn't know how to get into the game. Right, right, right. (laughs) As they say. Right. You know, I was sitting on the bench. I was sitting on the sidelines. Like, well, how do you get into the game? And it just so happened that one of the women there who I always talked to, I didn't, I didn't realize she was a coach. She was an HR and she was going on her sabbatical. And I said, Oh, I think I need somebody like you. And as soon as I made up my mind to work with her, Mm -hmm. things just opened up. Mm -hmm. I think it just opened up. A friend of mine, I was in LA and a friend of mine said, Hey Z, what about that short film you always said you were going to do? I'm like, yes, that's right. That's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what I need to get to do in the game. Yeah. And then I was at the airport and I called Lucina because she's a writer. Right. Because you need, you need a script. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and that's, and that's how it happened. Yeah. And then for the, and for the lead, I said to Lucina, I said, well, you know, she's friends with Victoria Rao. Yeah, And she, I, she said, well, I don't think she's going to do it. I'm like, well, what is she doing right now? She said, I don't know. Well, then ask her. Right. She or loved she it. No. She loved yeah. the script. Yeah. She, came, she came. She loved the script. <laughs> so that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so what I really want my listeners to pick up on in this whole conversation is how when you open yourself up. Yes. And ask questions and create this network of people, whether, you know, it's a coach or it's, it's, you know, friends or whatever. But when you open yourself up, that's how you make things happen in your life. And that's what we talk about when we, you know, sometimes you'll hear growth mindset through fixed mindset. The reason people who have growth mindsets and, and seem to succeed is because they can open themselves up before the door totally closes on them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and here's another thing. So I meditate every day. Yeah. And so now I'm listening to to different meditations, but sometimes when I used to sit just in silence, but also remembering to, for gratitude, grateful for what I have like right now and Mm -hmm. for being here like right now in that moment, you have Mm -hmm. everything you need, really. There is no lack. There's no lack in in the universe. Mm -hmm. When you go out and see the trees and squirrels, everybody has what they need. Mm -hmm. It's all in your head. Mm -hmm. So, but also too, to remember to be open and to attract what it is you need. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To be to track that because we probably get it every day. Like, I don't know. Like, but you, if you're not conscious of it and you're not aware, you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. You'll, and some idea that pops into your head, like, Oh, I should call so-and-so. And it mm-hmm. might, might not be, you call that person for anything. You just want to call them because they popped into your head and you maybe just want to say hello and how you're doing. And sometimes with that, people have done that to you, but with that in mind, you might get something out of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that you didn't think that you, that you'd be like, huh? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> 
It's the answer I need. Yes, I can't. Exactly. Exactly. Can't tell you how many times that's happened. And so I I call them God winks. Right. Well, I'm pondering a question, particularly in meditation. And, you know, a day later or shorter, that answer just appears. Yes, it does now, doesn't it? Yeah. And and (laughs) And I think that's part of, of once you start noticing that, that's part of gracefulness and Mm. being graceful. Because it's not that bad things don't happen or disappointment doesn't set in or you don't have challenges. It's the ability that when the challenge comes up, your reaction to it is, let me breathe, pause, ask the right question, and then wait for the answer. And oftentimes the answer comes faster than you think. Right. Because you know why? Because you know the answer is within us. Yeah. Now, isn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we just get those reminders or challenges out there. Yeah. To say, you know, people talk about, oh, I've got a difficult boss. Well, you know, either you kind of figure out what it is, how to communicate with that person, or it's a sign that you need to move on. Or, and, and minimally do something different. Either you change your right. to that person. Exactly. Or you've been thinking about leaving or doing something else or birthing another dream and you've been resistant to that, and it's, you know, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, is pushing you to say, you're supposed to do something else. Mm-hmm. Move, move, <laughs> move. <laughs> and, and you just got a beautiful lesson from that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From that person. From that, that boss. Blah, 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 blah. Blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is a terrible boss. And da, 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 da. It's time to move, right? Right. Because we all, you know, yep, that experience, we all mirror that, you know, Um, if you don't like something in that mirror, you can't change in the mirror. You've got to change it. You've got to, if you don't like your hair in the mirror, you got to, you can't change the the mirror. You've got to change yourself, the hair on your head. Yeah. 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 And don't be afraid. Or, or do no. it in spite of that fear because it right. is time. Yeah. For me now, the fear, and I think, you know, with COVID and this last year has taught us mm-hmm. is to be fearless. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you've got an unknown That's out exactly. there. Yeah. <laughs> and so that you can't see, That's, mm-hmm. you know. And, but, and that unknown yeah. changed the way we live. So it, even if you didn't, you know, God forbid that you lost a family member or you died from it, mm-hmm. someone you know did it, it changed the world. We'll, we will never be as what we were pre-COVID. Right. But I'm, but I'm hoping I, that people have more of a consciousness, but I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, on that <laughs> note. <laughs> Let's let's end it on. There are those of us who will open our eyes, have a growth mindset, look for the signs, and know that the skills that we already have can be transformed into something that is useful. Just like in you, you know, the recruiter is really a you know a production person who understands how to build a great team, and that's what right. you've taken that skill and you just put it on a different platform. Exactly, and, and aging the- is not something that we ought to be. <laughs> particularly afraid of and as we talked before this you know that i have to do we have to do a podcast on aging because that now is the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about Mm -hmm. yeah and i say with the aging bring it on because guess what i i was always fearful of of reaching out to investors Mm -hmm. for some reason i don't know but now i have more confidence but guess what i know how to be able to sell it to make it fun for them 
And why not invest? And I already know those people. Mm -hmm. It's not that I have to go that far. I already know somebody who knows the person. I already, it's already there. It's already always right there. And you built the network and the skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the skills to approach them and be approachable and to build confidence and inspire them to want to help in, you influence the world with a story. Right. Yeah. So how if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about your story, where do they go? They can go to zagmediaproductions.com mm -hmm. and check that out. I'm on LinkedIn under Zag Media Productions. I'm also on LinkedIn under Zaina parentheses Z Ali. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom with my audience. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Denise. It's oh. been lovely. It's a lovely way to spend the day. <laughs> or a little part of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah, for some of us, this can make our day. <laughs> so kudos to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, listeners, you've uh, spent some time with me, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as Lee and I have in sharing a story with you about building teams, transforming who your skills into something that can bring joy into your life and joy into the rest of the world. With that, you've been listening to Denise Cooper with Closing the Gap. And if you liked it, please share it with someone else. Don't forget to follow me so that you don't miss an episode. And also, all of what we've talked about this past time here is really about the conversations you have, the conversations in your head, the conversations you have with others, and how those conversations connect you to who you are and who you want to be and to manifest the things in your life that will bring joy and happiness to you. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.